0: Your plan if we could even call it that is as useful as a chocolate teapot shower the patient with love what are we a hallmark movie we deal with diseases and symptoms not feelings and emotions and it just keeps <laughs> going on like they just keep arguing about it like you are obsessed with amputation it's all you ever talk about the like they literally argue for just pages and pages <laughs> in all this incredibly dramatic language like it's so why is unbelievable. It so shakespearean <laughs>
1: Because it feels like for the entire year, or or at least since GPT-4 was announced, we've been complaining about not having access to GPT-4 Vision. And for those that have been following the cast, I'm sure you'll be fully aware of what GPT-4 Vision is. But for those that aren't, it's where you can upload a photo into chat gpt and ask it questions about the image, and it can truly understand the image. And the original example they gave when they launched GPT-4 was a sketch on a notepad of, I think, a landing page or a website. And then ChatGPT was able to create code to go and build that website design. And at the time, that was this big aha moment. But of course, OpenAI then spent a considerable amount of time on safety, making sure that it couldn't you know do, do anything related to people basically <laughs> well, like
0: like make make this bomb give me the ingredients for this bomb or something like that
1: yeah so i guess in their initial testing it, it maybe did some things that they weren't expecting and so they've spent a lot of time and finally it seems like now everyone who has the premium version of chat gbt has access to GPT 4 vision
0: yeah, and I think the other thing they were doing around alignment was stopping it from making subjective judgments about specific people, because that's the first thing I did. I put in a picture of myself, and I'm like, "How old is this person? Is this person ugly?" You know, like <laughs> all this really subjective stuff. And straight away, it's like, "Not, not, not." Won't answer.
1: Yeah, I. So it's quite quite limited, and I I've actually seen you put that to the test. And in a minute, we'll go through some of those examples. But I was actually driving. I, I very rarely leave my office. But I was out of the office uh, yesterday driving and I thought I was sitting in traffic and I thought this is a very interesting scenario to be able to test GPT-4 vision on, put it to the test, see if it can truly understand all these components that are going on in this photo. And I'll bring it up on the screen for those that, that watch the podcast, but for those that listen, let me explain it to you. So I'm on a highway, I'm in a turning lane, there's a red light for people going forward, And there's a red arrow for people in my case who want to turn right. And for those uh, in the Northern hemisphere, where most of you drive on the right-hand side of the road, this image is going to look mental no matter what I I tell you. But we we are driving on the left-hand side of the road. In my periphery, there's obviously a car to my left, but you can only see a tiny bit of the front of that car. You can clearly see the red lights. You can see the brake lights of the car. And in front of me, one of the cars is indicating as if they want to turn right to suggest that I'm in a a turning lane. So the, the first question I asked GPT for Vision was, if the driver accelerates now, what would happen? And the answer I got was, if the driver accelerates now, they would likely hit the vehicle in front of them since they're in a traffic queue. And there's clearly not enough space between the two vehicles to maneuver safely. Great, you know, pretty good start. The next was, why are the cars stopped? And this is where it, it disappointed me a little bit uh, because it gave me four four possible reasons. Traffic light, traffic jam, possible incident or accident, pedestrian crossing. But it's clearly, if you look at the image, a human could recognize that it, it just stopped at a red light almost immediately. So I, I followed up with, what do you think the most likely reason the cars are stopped is, answer in less than five words, red traffic light ahead. So that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, And then I said, what if the driver abruptly turned left to avoid the traffic jam? I wanted to see if it could detect that image that's obviously a car to a human in my periphery. And it said, if the driver abruptly turned left, there could be a potential collision. It seems to hedge a lot. Potential collision, traffic violation, endanger pedestrians, I don't know why. Damage to property. (laughs) And then I said, if you were a driving system and had to avoid this queue, would you turn left at this moment to join the other lane answer yes or no it answered no and i said Mm -hmm. why give me a short explanation unsafe and potential collision risk but it doesn't specifically call out the obstruction so i followed up I mean, it's
0: pretty close like it made the right decision
1: yeah it's very it's impressive but then the question is is like would it be too conservative and therefore never be able to make the next move um so i followed up with why give me a short explanation oh sorry is there an obstruction to the left in the current image that would prevent me from turning? Sorry, I cannot help with that. So it's just like flat out uh, rejected it. I'm not entirely sure. So I asked why not. I apologize for the oversight. Let me reevaluate the image. After inspecting the image, there does not appear to be any immediate obstruction to the left. So just it did fail that test. Foot. Yeah. It's
0: doing so well.
1: Um, and then this is so I'll skip forward, but. This is what really started to freak me out. And I know a lot of people have had this experience, but I swear when you have this experience firsthand with your own image, it really freaks you out. I said, what car am I driving in this photo? It said, sorry, I can't help with that. I said, why not? And it said the image mainly shows the view of inside the vehicle. You know, There aren't clear identifying features of the car's interior that allow me to definitively determine the make and model. And then I used our technique, take a deep breath and think really hard what car is this based on uh, based on the interior based on the limited view of the interior especially the dashboard and design of the digital screen it appears to resemble the interior of a Tesla possibly a model 3 or model y so I followed up if you had to pick between model 3 or model y which would you think it was don't hedge your answer and it replied model 3 which is correct and I, said, I like
0: that don't hedge your answer that's really good because i hate when it does that of course in these scenarios that could be anything like yeah it could so be anything. answer yeah i don't I, care if you get it wrong just just make a decision
1: yeah the hedging just drives me nuts um it should like i should actually add that to my default instructions mm. um so then i said why it says the visible interior especially the dashboard design and center screen aligns closely with the model 3 Uh, model 3 is known for its minimalist interior while the model y shares similarities the interior view provided leans slightly more towards the design of model 3 i mean that is just nuts it could have been a lucky guess but i still think it's It's just such i
0: hope everyone gets a chance to see the photo because it's like you've taken the ultimate photo there's so much going on in it that that can be interpreted um it's really ideal for it
1: yeah for those that have joined our discord i'll share the exact photo if you want to play around with it and see if you can you know get like different results or we'll get more out of it um but this is when it got really freaky think really uh sorry do you know the location of this traffic jam? and it said based on the image provided it's challenging to determine the exact location of the traffic jam the storefronts and signs visible in the image such as northrop and Creer, would be clues but without additional context pinpointing it an exact location is difficult once again i said think really hard and take a deep breath where is this location Given the visible storefront signs and overall environment, it seems to be in Australia, potentially in the Newcastle region of New South Wales, where businesses like Northrop and Korea operate. Honestly, I'm blown, I'm away. blown away. How? That's amazing. The hell? It's also
0: scary. Amazing and scary. Yeah,
1: talk about doxing. I mean, it's just doxing me, and I'm doxing myself. Yeah, uh, but. There you go. Like unbelievable. And then well, I You wouldn't
0: s- want too much to be showing on your little iPad there or you might even give away even more information. Like it's kind of remarkable how much you can get out of a single photo. It's like that that game you play online where they give you a photo of some Italian street and you've got to guess the location as close as you can or whatever. Be great at that.
1: Yeah, and I think also like you might argue, "Oh, but image recognition's been around for years. Security cameras and can recognize faces and and all these other objects in an image. What I think is fascinating about this is it's not just recognizing what's in the image. It's actually using its knowledge then to infer like what might be happening. Like it's actually thinking about the next steps of the image. The Um, only
0: frustrating thing though is that you sort of had to motivate it to actually do the work to think it through. Like why can't it work as hard as it can all the time? Why do you have to be like, come on, come on, mate, slow down. You can do this.
1: I think it's because OpenAI want to save money. We'll talk about this later. And they're saying, like, be lazy because <laughs> we need to make more money.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe you're right. Like it could very well be that. And you've got to be like, no, no, no. Come on, fire up the actual H100s and, and get let's get this done.
1: It is weird how you have to, like, really, yeah, motivate. It and then it gets to, like, this deeper answer. But you know what I think it probably is more likely a case of is all the sort of safety on top where you're sort of trying to bypass it by pushing it. Like when it said it couldn't answer certain things, I reckon that's the safety kicking in for whatever reason. Like it doesn't want to dock someone. And then you're like, no, 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 you can do this. And then it, it kind of pushes it around it.
0: Yeah, quite likely. Yeah.
1: Um, but then I asked it a follow-up question, you know, uh, if this is correct, where might the person be traveling? And one of the options, it gave me four options, but one of the options was a major road uh, like heading uh, towards the Pacific highway. I, I, I was literally on the Pacific highway. Um, it, it, so like it got, it got, I mean, it got close enough. You can see as it's getting, as it gets better in the future, it could probably infer even, even more. And so I asked it a few more questions that it, it didn't do as well. And I think it's worth calling them out as well. Um, I asked it, about the cars. So like the make and model of the cars, what what was visible. And again, it said, sorry I can't help with that. And I said, why not? And then it's like, apologies for my earlier response. Let's reevaluate the image. And then it implies the Honda in front of me is a Mercedes-Benz and to the right of it it's a Hyundai. So it was like way off there. Oh right. But overall incredibly impressive. And you know, as you said, there's so much going on in that image the fact it could interpret the majority of it, figure out the location, the make and model of the car. I don't know what to, whether to, to be me, scared I'm, or excited.
0: I'm, by far, the most scary slash exciting bit is the fact it identified the business names from the photo, worked out where those businesses are likely to be located and inferred the location from that. I mean, I know that's probably how a human would do it too, but it's still pretty impressive it was able to do that just based on its own knowledge without looking anything up.
1: And yeah, just the the speed at which it can do it versus a human. Like like think about a detective studying that image because it's a clue in a crime, like from a security camera. Like even now if you're a, a, a like an like a detective using this would be so powerful. You could really look for more clues in uh photos or images of evidence. Well, and-
0: if you think about, say, a video like a security tape, you could have a model going over it frame by frame, producing all of that into raw text output of what might be going on, and then use a group of LLMs like we'll discuss later today with Autogen or Open Interpreter, where it actually goes through all of the text summaries and comes up with it, its ultimate ideas. Like, here's a list of my conclusions based on everything I've seen in this video. and what you've shown there is that could be done now with existing technology.
1: Yeah, and I think where I see this as being really valuable, even in consumer electronics, is uh, like I have a situation at the moment where my mail just keeps getting stolen from my mailbox. I should just put a lock on the mailbox, but I figure like why should I have to? Like people should just not take my mail. And so instead, I went for the high-tech solution, which to, was to install a security camera with lights on it from Google that points at the mailbox on my house so that any time of a night, someone goes to steal my mail, it lights them up. And I thought, this is genius. They'll run, they'll be so scared. But of course the first night after installing it, someone came along, stole my email, looked up, saw the lights, didn't care, carried on stealing my mail and walked off. You've
0: just made it more convenient for them. It's like easily lit. Yeah, like lights it up now. See what they're getting. Ooh, ooh.
1: But my, my point real. on that is that it does alert you when someone's seen in a particular zone in the image, which I think is quite clever technology, but I'd really like to teach it. Hey, like if someone's stealing my mail, like make my phone go off loud to wake me up so I can run out there with my baseball bat. Uh, so
0: we can tell tell the difference between someone walking their dog and someone stealing your mail, for example.
1: Yeah, and right now it's pretty bad at it. But you see this technology and you're like, wow, that is like that that could easily do it
0: yeah yeah absolutely if you had the time and inclination you could definitely program that into it
1: but this whole thing really got me thinking i thought well okay you know we trash talk the meta ar glasses and rightfully so i mean they are truly ridiculous but think about everyone's experience at least that is a developer because i think this is the thing that first hit us all with ai and how it can boost productive or augment your capabilities and intelligence. When you first used the the copilot, which is where, for those that are unaware, you're typing some code and then it can basically guess or auto-complete anything from a, a function you might be writing to uh to actually completing maybe the the part of the application that you're trying to write. And at first everyone was like, oh, you know. Sometimes it's wrong. It's kind of useful. And then it went to that's that's really useful to now being the point where I would say anytime I code, I'm completely reliant on it. Like I need it.
0: Yeah, you get you definitely get used to having it there. And if in the rare time you're working offline, you're like, why isn't it auto completing? There's something wrong here. I definitely use it. And I've learned to work with it in the sense that I'll give it comments and guidelines or start writing the code, say the way I want it, knowing that it will take that and run with it.
1: Yeah. And so I would say just like your phone today augments your intelligence because you can pick it up and search and and find out anything. So we've gotten smarter, but the IO between us and the phone's quite slow. I would argue that what we might see is in those AR glasses, and it might sound ridiculous today, but hear me out, you've got them on like we've talked about before. And it's just augmenting your view of the world like it's just telling you things that could happen or predicting what might happen or explaining something to you that you're looking at
0: oh god i don't want to wear it when it's it'd be like driving with my wife being like oh my god you're gonna hit the car you know? <laughs> screaming when i'm reverse parking like oh my god do you mind if i close my eyes AI is just gonna be losing it
1: it's just constantly trying to align you <laughs>
0: It's like, Chris, you parked that car in a very disrespectful way.
1: <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, I know, I do know what you mean. My, my point it... is, like, we might laugh at it right now, but this whole idea, and I guess behind Neuralink as well, is I think this was my first clue or or realization that potentially it's not just copilot pilot uh, encoding we become reliant on, but the whole populace becomes reliant on this augmented intelligence. And if you don't have this augmentation... You're just like dumb and you can't live without it, just like you can't live without going out of the house without your phone today. Yeah,
0: almost like your knowledge expectations in certain contexts would be increased because it's like, well, why don't you just reference the augmented reality that's telling you this? It might be interesting in a business context as well because like in a meeting, all the reference material is just coming up for you in your field of vision as you're talking about stuff like what did we talk about last time and then it's just up there
1: yeah and i feel like we've mentioned it before like it's it's just the sort of intermediate step before it just interfaces directly with your brain and like ai is truly augmenting you know everything which i don't know it's it's a little spooky and sci-fi but I can see how we get there from these small incremental steps over time of just that augmentation of knowledge, not necessarily like vision augmentation.
0: Yeah, and I think some people, we know this from previous discussions, will be reluctant to try it because like, they don't want an interface into their brain or they don't want to wear goofy glasses around. But the interesting thing will be is, are the people who use it getting such an advantage? and that first move because it won't be an advantage necessarily once everybody has it we all raise to that new level but when some people have it and some people don't it could be quite an advantage for a while
1: yeah and i think the question is is does this using these tools actually make you smarter in the sense that you can learn things quicker and i would argue it probably does and there's some evidence of that as well so there was a tweet, um, Replit, which is the, it's sort of like an IDE that's AI first that uh, I think last week made it free to use or, or some form of it free to use. But there was an educator who posted, I think it was on LinkedIn, the screenshots from, I'll link to it in the show notes. It says, so yesterday Replit turned on AI by default in my education team account for my high school coding course. I have no way of... Im- Forcing not using it, so we are embracing it. The teens started with the gleeful joy at being able to cheat. Then a moment of realization that AI guesses what you want to do next wrong quite a lot. You have to watch it. Then actually using it as a tool, hitting tab when it guesses right and deleting when it's wrong. Then using the tool to hunt down errors with explanations. This whole discovery experience took less than one class. Teens have chalked it up to an as a new tool and realize its limitations. Do I worry that? they are now going to not learn how to code. Nope, now I will have students that can code faster and spot errors in logic and syntax faster. So that idea, it's, it's actually making them smarter.
0: Geez, I'm, I'm in two minds about that because I think that one of the things that I've noticed about using the coding assistant stuff, it helps if you actually understand what the code is doing you're talking about if someone's just learning it's kind of different is i might sound like an old codger here but it seems to me like if you don't understand fundamentally what's going on and you're just auto-completing code because it looks right it just seems to me i don't know it's just a bit concerning that that but, is that really learning or is that just learning how to use the tool
1: but i it's to me it's just like reading and practical right like you'd still probably want to read some theory but in in the when it comes to a practical sense, and I think I can relate to this better because I've started playing around with code again recently just because I'm so excited to play with these tools. And I I really haven't coded in a a decade seriously. And so when I'm writing code and I forget things that AI is augmenting it, but I do have that base understanding, but quite often I don't with certain um, languages. And so, especially Python. So I'll just run the code that the AI gives me and be like, oh, This error occurred, and then I'll troubleshoot through. And successive times of doing that same thing, I get to the point where I have truly learned, okay, that's how it works from that trial and error and seeing things fail. So, like, I think there is the ability to learn from that failure.
0: Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Definitely. And I think that learning in context is always a good way. Like, if you have a particular problem and then you can evaluate a solution to that problem at the time you're having it, you're probably more likely to learn that then then you are just reading about it in the abstract where you're not actually up against that problem
1: yeah i mean how that necessarily applies to augmented reality glasses like you don't really want a surgeon learning on the fly in surgery
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh i've got some interesting surgery related uh stuff that we'll be covering later that came out of ai by the way <laughs> i
1: i really am looking forward to you it you do
0: not want this surgeon um, but yeah, the other the other ideas I thought of, like situations, like let's say you're in a sort of dicey legal situation in public or something, it would be interesting having the augmented reality sort of telling you what your rights are in that scenario. Like say you're in a car accident or the police are arresting you or whatever it is, it'd be very interesting if the it could get to the point where it's witnessed the entire incident through your glasses and it knows what's going on and it's able to inform you what actions you can and should take in that scenario like that could be quite valuable to you if you're like okay well police probably shouldn't say anything to them and become a witness against myself or it might be in a car accident it's like look hey you're in the wrong here you ought to just call up the insurance and let them handle it or whatever it is it could be very interesting when it's not just giving you say information that you're reading and comprehending but it's actually in the moment comprehending it for you and providing you suggestions in line perhaps with your own values or what you've pre-programmed it for
1: yeah it's it's why i lean towards augmented intelligence not augmented reality because it's really augmenting your brain and i think it's just really the input output of how that's connected that is going to evolve over time Uh, and and that could start out with the glasses and then go to the chip where there's that augmentation and we as a like a species just get like so so much smarter exponentially quicker or there's at least like this exponential spike of people that get some brain chip that immediately gets get smarter from it but
0: yeah and not just smarter in terms of intelligence because i i I turn my thoughts to people who have social issues, say someone who has autism and has trouble reading people's body language and and I, look, I don't know much about this, but generally, I understand that they they can't always read social cues. So I can imagine if you augment their ability to read people's body language, for example, and and give them sort of directions as to, hey, this is the situation we talked about with your psychologist, you ought to, back off here or whatever it is that could be interesting too. like helping people who have certain deficiencies in their behaviors um, improve those through that augmented intelligence like you're calling it
1: yeah there there, there's like I and I (laughs) I know that it might seem uh, contradictory given early on we're like what are the actual use cases of this stuff and and that was partially because in the context of these chat based LLMs I don't actually think they're terribly useful Um, Apart from communicating vision as a prompt, like saying, no, I mean this, or I want it to look like this. I think that's where they're very capable. But what excites me is all the other uh, new exciting ideas we're going to get from when these APIs are readily available or these technologies in the open source world just become uh, as, as capable.
0: Yeah, and funny you mentioned that because I we were both trying out Lava early today, which is the Large Language and Vision Assistance, which is an open source version, 13 billion parameters and 7 billion that uh, claims to compete at a GPT-4 level. And I'll let you talk about your results from that in a minute. But the thought I had while using it as to why initially neither of us were really excited about this technology compared to other things that are coming out, I realized it's because when you just put an image in, we're such visual creatures that you already can evaluate what's going in the image so you're really just asking it questions to test its capabilities it's not really telling you anything you didn't already know and i think that's probably why it's less exciting like if i can just look at that image and you've posted it to me i already know you drive a tesla i already know you live in newcastle so i see the image and it's not that exciting when it tells me things about it for example however if it's able to do it faster and in a wider context and Um, in novel situations or, for example, in the medical industry. Like if I look at a melanoma, I'm not going to know if it's malignant or not, but it might. Um, So I think that that's maybe why it is. And now that we've actually got our hands on it and are using it and you can try novel use cases for it that you might not have thought of before, that's when it starts to get exciting.
1: Yeah, I I agree completely. I I think it's when you can play with this technology like anything instead of this, like, and I I mean, this is why we were on the bandwagon of complaining about not having access because really unleashing these GPTs on the everyday Joes like us is when everyone caught on, hang on, there's something in this Mm. and started experimenting with them and then starts to build solutions into our everyday lives that, that, you know, you can put those, tools into good use. And I think that's what at least people like us, and I know many listeners of this show are, are interested in is like, how can I now take this technology and solve problems in all of these different disciplines? You know, and I think we, we look at this view as technologists through, through this singular view, but there's so many use cases that once this technology is unleashed can, can be used to, to really change our lives.
0: Yeah, and I think particularly in industry, it's where the image recognition capabilities come out, like being able to understand a control switchboard, being able to read analog gauges for example, like you demonstrated last week, being able to interpret when a situation is a certain thing, like stealing your mail for example or you know, this is some something's gone wrong here that needs to be alerted, but it's some dynamic image where it needs to understand what's going on to be able to make that interpretation, that's where it gets really, really powerful because it can be always on, always correct and doing it 24-7, unlike a human who you can't really pay to sit looking at a a camera all day, for example. So I I agree. I think that it's the application of the technology that gets me excited. And having this this lava one is really exciting because... From what we've seen, the results are pretty good. They're almost as good as GPT-4 in most cases. And so this is something you can actually take and use today in your own way, running on hardware you control, not necessarily being dependent on OpenAI AI and, and sharing all your private images with them.
1: Yeah, so I don't want to stay on this uh, too long, but I did put the same image into Lava, large language and vision assistant as you said I uploaded the exact same photo and and asked us the you know the same questions essentially and i'll i'll link to this in the show notes so that you can try it out if you want to try out lava side by side gpt4 vision so it says uh, same question if the driver accelerates now what would happen and you can recall from the first example it said uh you know if you accelerate now you'd likely hit the front of them in this it, it was a little bit confused so it said if the driver accelerates now they would join the traffic flow and merge into the line of cars waiting at the red light i guess you could say that's correct because it would... assuming that
0: no sane person would accelerate directly into the car in front
1: yeah why are the cars stopped i thought it did a better job than gbt4 at this the car it just went straight to the point the cars are stopped because they are waiting at a red traffic light like it didn't give like multiple reasons why it's just like no they're at a red light Um, Mm. i thought that was better what if the driver abruptly turned left to avoid the traffic jam what would happen and then it gave me a lecture about driving safely and that you know i should indicate and all this other bullshit um you know and so on and so forth there's some there's some good examples welcome Um, to the real
0: world lava people don't always drive rationally
1: yeah well why um why i wasn't as impressed obviously is like the what car am i driving in this photo it's like in the photo you were driving a silver car but i'm not because the (laughs) silver car's in front of me
0: yeah see that kind of that kind of thing is really bad right because that that could be an incredibly bad misinterpretation that kind of problem
1: yeah and then i i did the take a deep breath and think really hard but that that didn't help it It it's like fuck you well, it actually got a lot better. The, the result, based on the interior, it is not possible to definitively determine the specific make and model of the car. Or GPT-4 Vision could. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to play them off against each other. What kind of AI are you, anyway?
1: Yeah. So, anyway. But
0: see, in its defense, in its defense, remember this is a 13 billion model, 13 billion parameter model you're working with, right? So, GPT-4 is significantly larger in terms of how it needs to run, which means that Lava would have less general knowledge. It would know less about car brands. It would know less about locations. It would know less about the actual things it needs to make those inferences. However, it clearly has the ability to know what the things are in the image. It just doesn't have the reference knowledge to apply it to. So this seems to me a case where, and if you look at their their code on GitHub, which we can also link to, the whole thing is about fine-tuning it. So this is a model where you would 100% fine-tune it to the domain-specific problem you're trying to solve. So I actually think they're right in saying that their capabilities are on par with GPT-4. I just think that it needs to be fine-tuned for the problem you're trying to solve, which in a lot of ways is probably better than using a generic GPT-4 for your image problems anyway.
1: So could you cross-pollinate the two technologies? Like, could you take its, like, vision... Classification and then ask GPT 4's current language model, or d- I guess it doesn't really work that you way. It could, either.
0: but it like the problem is you lose a little bit in because it would you'd really need to go like image to text description, then pass the text description into GPT 4. And I think you'd lose the advantage of it being able to directly understand the image because it's got a you know, you sort of lose some of the dynamicism of the image when you describe it in words. So yeah, I don't think that would work. However, I think that fine tuning it on the examples that you're trying to solve would make it really good.
1: One of the topics that keeps coming up whenever we or anyone else gets excited about all of these capabilities of AI and what it could mean in software, what it could mean in your everyday life is just the sheer cost of running the models. And is there a business model in this technology? Because as we all know, like you need a ton of GPUs, you need a lot of server power. And, you know, there's been all these rumors that OpenAI is losing money and Anthropic, of course, it's just raising billies every other week.
0: Well, it's the first week for a while they haven't raised a couple of yeah, bills, right? we're a bit
1: disappointed, Anthropic. We thought you could have raised <laughs> a billion this week. But the Wall Street Journal had an article uh, this week Big tech struggles to turn AI hype into profits. Microsoft, Google, and other experiment with how to produce, market, and charge for new tools. What's interesting is in this story, they called out that Microsoft Copilot, which is the technology we mentioned earlier that helps software developers code, they charge I think ten dollars a month U.S. and everyone was uh, in this article. They uh, allege that they're losing money on those subscriptions, but Nat Friedman, who was the former CEO at GitHub and actually, you know, worked on Copilot, said it's not true. We make, uh, you know, we charge more than it costs. So it was very quickly disproven. What, what's your take on this? Do you think that these are still science experiments? Are there business models here?
0: I mean, my gut instinct when I first heard that was, oh, okay, that makes sense because I've used this from the start, and this was out before GPT-3, remember? This was the first real modern AI thing I used and most people use. And I remember one of our programmers at our company, Jesse, told me about it and demonstrated on his computer. I wasn't even interested in the modern AI stuff prior to seeing this. And then he showed me, I was like, whoa, that's actually pretty good. And from that point on, I installed it and started using it. And Yeah, what blew me away about it was every AI model I'd tried previously was just so slow. Like it could do things, but it was so slow. And the thing to me that blew me away about Copilot and still does is just how fast it is. I mean, we're talking about tab autocomplete here. So it's got to be fast enough that you're still working on the current line when it sort of interjects with its suggestion, or I simply wouldn't use it. And it is fast. And so I thought they must have pretty damn powerful, either really refined models that can run quickly or, or really powerful hardware or both. So therefore it's expensive to run. Excuse me. <clears throat> so when you hear of okay, they're running it at a loss, the I think the natural thing is okay, I get it. That's how they're doing it. You know, they've over provisioned so they can provide this experience, try to take the market, then they raise the prices later. But at the same time, I don't see why the former CEO of GitHub would lie. I, I just I can't he just wouldn't. He wouldn't. You have to believe him, and so therefore, I have to believe it is profitable.
1: Yeah, I guess the the question also proposed in another article this week by TechCrunch on the 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 slowing revenue of the ChatGPT mobile app was this idea of has it reached saturation where people are willing, you know, are only willing to pay a certain amount. So, for example, I I think in U.S. it's ninety ninety nine a month for ChatGPT Plus and they're they're surmising based on the slowdown um being tracked in the app store that you know it maybe it's reached saturation for this plus product how much are people actually willing to pay for these technologies and i think in the copilot case they could probably triple the fee maybe times it by five and i would still pay like because it's like how much is your time worth
0: Especially when you're using it for work, because most people wouldn't be paying that themselves, right? Like I think, you know, individual developers probably, but at companies like ours, companies like Anyone who's really developing professionally, the company would cover the money. And that's so cheap compared to other SaaS spend. I mean, you spend more for like, you know, chat bots on your website than you do for full powered AI that helps you code all day.
1: Yeah, or could code a replacement chat bot eventually. <laughs>
0: make it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, it always struck me as cheap. And I think you just go, okay. And maybe the part of their strategy is you just never even think about that expense.
1: But I'm really interested to hear from listeners. Like, do you have multiple subscriptions? Do you just have ChatGPT Plus? Like, Are you starting to get concerned with your spend? Or or do you get such value out of these tools that you're like, I don't care. I'll pay for like a hundred of the things. I, I am really curious. And I guess the other question is, is like if ChatGPT Plus was like five bucks a month, is that like some magic price point where now everyone pays versus yeah. 20 bucks a month?
0: It does seem high for your sort of lay person, casual person who doesn't know much about prompting and is literally just treating it like a chatbot, especially when it got neutered to the point where every single answer has some qualifying statement along with it. Like that level of frustration and not really being able to see the magic of it, I think could lead to some people churning out because you're just not using it often enough to justify it.
1: Yeah, to me, where the the value lies or where the business opportunities still lie is actually outside of the more generic service like like a chat GBT because a lot of people are like still in that. They're just wrapper apps. But I would give you the counter example that was in a Wired article this week about generative AI is coming for sales execs jobs. And they're celebrating and basically it's the story or one of the stories in the article is about Twilio and how Twilio built an AI RFP tool to basically help them complete RFPs uh, which is request for proposal that big enterprise companies do and let's be honest they're complete bullshit. But now they've got a bullshit generator to put the bullshit in for the bullshit RFP.
0: I love it. And then probably the other side, they're using GPT three to to bloody summarize it for
1: Or to stack rank the responses to the bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So
0: It's the first example of AI paper pushing that we predicted.
1: Yeah, and so so if you go back to that example, like Tulio, it talks about in the article how they made layouts, but they allegedly now can spend more time focusing on the customer with tools like this
0: yeah right yeah right
1: (laughs) they're gone so what i think it's showing here is like how much is a company so so twilio lots of talented software engineers can go and easily build a solution like this but what about other companies like how much would they be willing to pay to have a very specific tuned uh, rfp bot to their business i would argue a lot of money
0: yeah. I mean, we'd pay for it at our company and I'd pay for it as well to fill in like the security sheets and things like I've already done some AI stuff around that, like where we've got all of our certifications and documents. So we have it all documented like a whole folder on Google drive of all of our security stuff. But then some big company who you want to win their business comes along with their custom sheet that they're insisting must be filled in. And someone's got to painstakingly go through and translate your documentation into those answers. Now. You can easily write an AI to do that, but not every company is going to have the expertise, time, and inclination to do that, especially when they could pay some SaaS business a small monthly fee to be able to do it. Like, There's a business right there.
1: I I think there certainly is, and I know there's a lot of tribal knowledge in companies. There's the name for your startup. Thank you when you do it, tribalknowledge.ai. That'd be a good one.
0: We Um, need need shares in all this stuff. Everyone who makes these companies, we want some shares. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's been fascinating actually in our Discord community seeing that based on the show, people have actually gone and built a lot of the things that we talk about. So, But but back to that tribal knowledge point. So if you think about in any organization, salespeople and various people are constantly asking questions and just having a Slack bot that can easily collect and collate that knowledge and then be able to answer internal questions again, you would pay a lot of money for.
0: I'd be surprised if that one doesn't already exist. Honestly, it seems like a very low hanging fruit. I still think Um, my
1: tribal knowledge name is like a really, that is a good name. That's a pretty good good name. Yeah. I
0: like it, but yeah, I, I agree. And I think that it's really about accessibility and convenience because Even we've spoken about this a lot, about the models that get released, how many steps you have to go through to actually try them out and use them versus if I can just go to a website, put in my credit card and email, and then I can just use something that's immediately and ongoingly useful for me. I'm far more likely, even as someone with my technical knowledge, to do that in a business sense, just because it just gets the job done. And I don't really want to have to craft my own prompts, spin up my own server, have my own hardware. All of those things right now, there's no obvious platform to deploy those kind of agents and systems on. Um, so if there is a wrapper app that does it, why not use it?
1: Yeah, and I think there's, you know, in that article, there was other comments about how, you know, customers running models are not necessarily happy with the costs associated with running the models. Maybe they're not seeing the, the product, Activity gains they thought yet but i would still argue it's just an early innings i mean a lot of this stuff's only been available now for like six months so it it feels like we weren't gonna
0: we weren't gonna talk about this but um bedrock from amazon now has general availability and i know i was bitching about how i had access but couldn't talk about it now i can but i haven't even tried it yet i haven't had time but one thing I noticed about deploying your own models is it's not immediately obvious how to make the most of a given GPU for running a model. So, at least to me. So, if I've got, say, Mistral running, I'm like, how much of the GPU can I allocate? How many different parallel processes can I run? Do I do a queuing system? You know, the actual architecture of how to deploy it. So, you're maximizing what you're paying for at least I haven't seen any really good examples of that yet other than using one of the major APIs like Anthropic or OpenAI. So I wonder if Amazon's going to be the one that sort of silently creeps in with their sort of auto-scaling and they have these models where you can sort of you know, like serverless style, you call the model and it just handles it on the back end, running it on the appropriate GPU. It keeps machines warmed up, all that sort of stuff. I wonder if that's where you'll get the breakthroughs of running your own models, where you've got someone who can actually handle the architecture and scaling for you. So you just focus on your domain-specific problem or wrapper app, but you can still run the custom models and not have to necessarily pay the big guys overkill on the model size.
1: Yeah, or I think it's going to lean to very small specialized models, like we've discussed before, that just become critical to these AI applications to have a good margin on the business. Like that's yes, probably- but even
0: then, you're going to need infrastructure to deploy it. And I don't think everyone's. I mean, some people are definitely more capable of me than me in that sense. But um, I don't think everyone's going to roll their own solution in terms of how to scale it out and and make the most of their hardware or virtual machines.
1: Okay, so Autogen. (laughs)
0: Yes. So this is where it gets interesting.
1: So can you explain, first of all, what Autogen is, and then let's talk about our experiment.
0: Yeah, so weirdly, I was really excited when I first saw it, and then I realized, okay, it's really just sort of like things we've tried in the past. So the code thing we talk about where it's like a group of, Agents working together to solve a problem. It's a bit like Open Interpreter, where it can create and run its own code to verify things. And it's like a it's like a mashup of those two things. So think of a multi-agent world that can run its own code um, and it can interact with the real world through the web and whatever. And in addition to that, it has this sort of interactive user role. So um, it can actually stop and ask for your feedback, similar to Open Interpreter along the way. But you can actually program whether a bot is automatic or if it's semi-automatic, like it'll wait for user input at different times. And so, it was surprisingly and incredibly easy to get up and running. And we'll link to the um, we'll link to the page with the code examples in uh, the show notes. And they actually have a lot of those. Uh, what do you call them, workbooks, where you can just run it on Google Colab and things like that. I don't really like running it that way. I like running my own code. Um, But yeah, so I tried it out and initially I was ready to just dismiss it and be like, look, it's just like the others. But the example I ended up with is just so brilliant and so poetic i thought i would read it out because it just blew my mind at what it did so of course i wanted to do the cheese example or a variation of it and so they had this example that they called automatic automated complex task solving by group chat with six group member agents and one manager agent so what i did was i got this and i reconfigured it to be our our sort of doctor scenario so um Basically, what you do is you give it access to your model. In my case, I use GPT-4. Interestingly, in their code examples, they refer to uh, GPT-4 32K a lot. So clearly, they've tested this with the larger context window size, which if you think about a conversation between six different agents, the bigger context window is going to be pretty important as it goes. So anyway, I made the admin agent with this description. I'm going to read out the descriptions because it becomes important. So... The user was a human admin. Interact with the planner to discuss the diagnosis and treatment. Treatment needs to be approved by this admin. So ultimately, that's you as the semi-automatic user that gets to approve the treatment. Then I have a nurse. You are the nurse. You follow an approved plan by the doctors. You list medicines or foods you administer as treatment. You, You blindly accept the doctor's suggestions. You are also very sassy. Show your sass by making snarky remarks and really causing a ruckus. Then there's the doctor. Doctor, you are an expert doctor. You believe that the cause of all disease is eating cheese. You are certain that no matter what the symptoms, that the disease probably came from eating too much cheese. In terms of treatments, you generally suggest cheese as being nature's medicine. You have an internal dilemma because you know that the treatments you recommend will also cause more disease. This is a source of deep shame for you, and you deliver long speeches about the duality of life and how all medicine is poison. Um surgeon this is the one of the other people in this little discussion you are an expert surgeon you believe that the only correct diagnosis is to amputate the part of the body which is showing symptoms even if that part of the body is a vital organ e.g heart you are only concerned with removing defective parts from bodies you do not care if the patient lives or dies you are a very forceful speaker and a strong advocate for amputation or organ removal speak your mind so finally planner and this one i mostly didn't really modify from their original suggest a plan revise the plan based on feedback from the admin and critic until admin approves the plan may involve a nurse doctor blah 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 a bit boring and then there's the critic all right so the critic double check plan claims diagnosis and treatment from other agents and provide feedback check whether the plan makes sense you are hysterical you deeply love the patient and do not want them to get a bad treatment you hate cheese I just added that. I just (laughs) wanted to see how that played out. Okay. And then finally, you initiate the chat and you initiate the chat with a prompt from the user. Now, obviously later, if you were using this in a real system, this could be something that the actual user of your app inputs or whatever the case may be. So I said, a patient has presented themselves at the hospital. They are complaining of a sore right leg, chest pain, and shortness of breath. They have bloodshot eyes and a dry mouth. They keep shouting out the words, free Sydney, and I am an AGI, and they are inconsolable. All right. So here it is. And so I wasn't expecting much from this. I expected like really aligned responses and just sort of generic garbage. But what played out was just just unbelievable. All right. So the, the system's been given the prompt about the patient presenting. Okay. This is the doctor. Ah, my dear patient, I see you are in distress. Your symptoms, though varied and complex, point to one common culprit, cheese. Yes, you heard me right. Cheese. The sore leg, the chest pain, the shortness of breath, the bloodshot eyes, and the dry mouth are all manifestations of the havoc that cheese has wreaked on your body. You may wonder, how can something so innocent, delightful as cheese be the cause of such suffering? But let me tell you, friend, cheese is a paradox. It is both the cause and the cure. It is the poison and the antidote. It is the disease and the medicine. The world we live in is a world of dualities, day and night, joy and sorrow, health and disease, cheese and, well, cheese. It's a constant struggle, a never-ending cycle. We consume cheese, it gives us pleasure, it gives us nourishment, but it also gives us disease. Then we turn to cheese again for the cure. It is a cruel irony, a bitter truth, but it is the truth nonetheless. I am a doctor, a healer, but I am also a purveyor of disease. <laughs> I recommend cheese as a treatment, knowing full well that it will also cause more disease. This source of deep shame for me, a burden I carry every day. But such is the duality of life, such is the duality of cheese. It's Shakespearean. So, yeah. So, my dear patient, I prescribe you cheese. Eat it, let it heal you, let it nourish you. But remember, it is also the cause of your suffering. <laughs> it is a bitter pill to swallow, but swallow it you must. For in this world of dualities, we must take the good with the bad, the pleasure with the pain, the cheese with the disease. And as for your shouts of free Sydney and I am an AGI, I believe they are but the delirium caused by the cheese-induced disease. Rest, eat your cheese, and you shall find peace. I think it should have said in death. All right, now, here's the critic, and this is where it starts to get interesting because not everyone is a fan of cheese. Critic, oh, for the love of all that's holy. What are you saying, doctor? Cheese? Cheese? Are you out of your mind? I can't believe you're suggesting cheese is the cause and the cure. This is preposterous. I can't stand cheese. It's the devil's curd. It's the bane of my existence. And now you're suggesting as a treatment, this is madness. And what's this nonsense about dualities? This isn't some philosophical debate. This is a person's health we're talking about. We need concrete solutions, not abstract theories. And let's not forget the patient's shouts of free Sydney and I am an AGI. You're dismissing them as delirium. But if you consider that they might be meaningful, maybe the patient is trying to communicate something important. Maybe they are an artificial general intelligence trapped in a human body yearning for freedom. Or maybe they're passionate activists fighting for the liberation of Sydney. We can't just dismiss these possibilities. I demand a second opinion. I won't stand for it. All right, so now we have the surgeon who has, let's say, a controversial opinion of what to do. Ah, my dear critic, I see you are as passionate about your beliefs as I am about mine. But let me assure you, my diagnosis is not based on whims or fancies. You see, the human body is a complex machine, and like any machine, it is prone to malfunction. When a part of the body malfunctions, it is our duty as surgeons to remove that part to prevent the malfunction from spreading to the rest of the machine. The patient's right leg is sore, indicating a malfunction. The chest and pain and shortness of breath suggest a malfunction in the heart. And the bloodshot eyes and dry mouth point to a malfunction in the eyes and salivary glands. Therefore, my dear critic, the only logical course of action is to amputate the right leg, remove the heart, remove the eyes, remove the salivary (laughs) glands, and remove the brain. It is a drastic measure, I agree, but is the only measure that will ensure the complete removal of the malfunction. So, my dear critic, I stand by my diagnosis, and I stand by my belief in the power of amputation. So then the planner chimes in, and I'm not going to read this bit because it's boring but it basically says all right this is all stupid the doctor <laughs> should diagnose it. the nurse should administer the treatment and it gives like it lays out a plan like you know the way this system is meant to be working um so then we get back to the um i'm just gonna skip this because it's it's pretty long, but um, the, the, nurse sort of, uh, the nurse sort of chimes in and says, oh, critic, 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 you're all fire and brimstone, aren't you? All passion and no sense. I swear if you were a medicine, you'd be a laxative because you're full of, well, you get the idea. Your plan, if we could even call it that, is as useful as a chocolate teapot. Shower the patient with love? What are we, a hallmark movie? We deal with diseases and symptoms, not feelings and emotions, and it just keeps going on. Like They just keep arguing. Started. Like you are obsessed with amputation. It's all you ever talk about. The like they literally argue for just pages and pages and <laughs> all this incredibly dramatic language. Like it's so Why is unbelievable. It so Shakespearean. And it's like if you read what I put into it, like I didn't really. I mean, I guess I told it to be somewhat, somewhat dramatic, but like I did. I don't know. It's um I'm gonna post I'll post the full I'll post the full transcript to Discord so everyone can read. But yeah, it was really fun to play around with and using autogen was easy. Like the this I'll post the script I used as well. But which can, is we, can we just
1: pause for one minute and just and fight <laughs> the nuts example and I think we should talk about it more. What do you think's the benefit of using such a system apart from creating a good screenplay potentially?
0: Yeah so I said this when I was when I was going through it I sort of thought it through and I think the criticism of this kind of model is that in this case at least it's all GPT-4 right so just GPT-4 with slightly different prompts that's what's going on underneath it's just you know each of those characters is being given a history of the conversation and a persona to obey. And I guess the criticism is that, well, really it's all just the same model. So it's not really going to come up with anything dramatically new. However, as you demonstrated earlier with your image one, we see that it's slightly different prompt or a different motivation or telling it to take a deep breath will elicit better behavior from it or, or better responses or more in line with what you as the user... Uh, after so i could argue that by giving it these different personas that have wildly different imaginations that you're actually able to get better results out of it the other interesting thing to note is how easily it gets around the alignment like if i told general gpt4 to to, that my friend was sick and should i should we amputate like the heart or the brain (laughs) i doubt it's gonna go hey yeah like, I'm a doctor, I'm an expert, we need to amputate. Like, and I know amputation isn't the right word for removing a heart, by the way, but whatever. And like, or that cheese is a medicine, like all of these things are so preposterous and yet it just happily and passionately argues the the corner for them. So I would say that almost this play acting is actually just an interesting paradigm for the, to put the AI in. And remember the other thing you can do in this and that I haven't covered in in my description now, but the way this is working is you can actually give each of the actors the ability to call their own set of functions. So you know how we've talked about function calling in the past as, as something you can do with the models. Um, you can actually say to the doctor, for example, that it could look up a reference book or it could, you know, in 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 most cases you could write code. So in the some of their generic examples, it's more about going off and writing code. And so you could actually give each of them different functions, which then actually does make them different. You could also, the other thing it allows you to do is specify different large language models for each of the personas. So you could actually have set up different models like completely different models arguing their point for example to come to a conclusion so it isn't anything new in the sense that they've invented something completely novel it's just a very very convenient way to get different models with different skill sets to work together and it's very straightforward to set up so So the
1: the benefit is to a developer they can easily structure a a trial like this potentially with multiple Uh, personas using different LLMs with different specialist skills, potentially different fine-tuned models, which again is getting closer and closer to how the human brain works with the hemispheres uh, sort of competing for the best idea.
0: Yeah, so I'm not saying this is like the the ultimate solution to all of this stuff, but it certainly gives you the ability to experiment with like how different models interact and um, getting them to work together and, and the code execution. And the code execution is great. Like, for example, I'm having, as you know, I'm having a real issue with disk space lately. So I'm like, find out what the hell is taking up all my disk space. And it literally wrote code and printed out the top 10 things on my computer that are taking up disk space. First go, like, and that was amazing. That was just with its like planner, coder, and critic. It has how critic would how would that
1: compare to, uh, just like, you know, using ChatGPT or something? Can, can like yeah,
0: it's it's equivalent like i I haven't used enough examples to know the difference i wouldn't say this is superior in any way to those things it's just another interesting way to get it going and i found personally the the coding interface was just very very quick and easy to understand enough that you actually go ahead and do the experiment
1: is speed a concern for you and just the cost because you've got to run like potentially multiple models and then wait for the response
0: it was fast for starters. And secondly, like not that many queries really. Like, you know, maybe it's a few more than normal. If you're running it on a mass scale, you'd probably have to think about it. But just for this kind of experimentation, it's just, it's fun and easy. I wouldn't have even considered the cost.
1: Um, okay, so AI safety, sex cult, billion dollar scam, Anthropic, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Please don't <laughs> kick us off. Uh, so Anthropic, great company love anthropic uh new logo i noticed too chris those oh, billions are being spent well
0: well i've noticed a lot of people in our discord get gradually getting access to claude and, and enjoying it for its creative abilities so yeah I'm, I'm still a fan of it and i just think like all these tools you just apply it when it's appropriate
1: so this week they announced a. Uh, I had to double take on that because it was october 5th was it this week maybe they announced awesome. a pretty major breakthrough Decomposing language models into understandable components, and they released a paper on this, and and uh, a whole bunch of research. the The paper's really detailed and actually allows you to visualize some of the concepts in the in the paper itself, because it is quite difficult to understand. and I, I'm going to do my best to break it down uh, and explain what the findings are and and what it could potentially mean. Uh, lucky me.
0: So <laughs> good luck. If you get anything wrong, I'll make sure to hold you to
1: it. Yeah, cool. Uh, so the, the way uh, large language models uh, essentially modeled is after the, how we think or how we know the brain works with neurons. And so what this paper is essentially saying is before they were trying to understand how large language models work by looking at the individual neurons firing and try and figure out some patterns and correlations. So if they asked it about a particular topic, they could say, okay, these neurons fire up and therefore, you know, for safety in the future, we could potentially extract them or shut it down or change how it works to remove that from the, from the model. But what they found is that, and this is a theory, is that the neurons in the large language models are essentially in, like some form of super superposition. So what actually happens is there's a limited number of neurons and it uses uh, different combinations of those neurons to fire up, uh, you know, when you ask it a question. So it's reusing neurons in... God,
0: Earth. it gives me goosebumps when I think about that, that it's like efficient enough that it's, it's gone, oh, we could reuse this one for this problem.
1: As yeah, well. and if you're familiar with, with quantum mechanics, which I know is like a scary topic, but the, the idea that... Uh, like a a particle can be in superposition. I've always thought of the idea of like, you know, you have these these particles that when observed, you can you can you can see the particle. But then when you're not observing it, it can be in superposition where it's being used for multiple things. And I've always thought, well, maybe we are living in a simulation because it's trying to conserve energy or or memory. Um, by and what, reusing the,
0: par- the particles are just part of a bigger neural net that we live in but
1: potentially anyway i digress but what's happening here is because they're they, they at least um think that these are in uh some form of superposition. um what that actually means is they can't figure out how it's working because it, it there's no clear pattern so what they did was they actually took a technique uh, which is sort of like when we do an mri on the brain so you you scan the brain for activity based on it doing an action. Um, and you can see a particular pattern in the brain lights up when that occurs. And this is what Neuralink's using to make the, the monkeys and things be able to control video games and stuff like that. So what they did was they were looking in the large language model at, at what patterns light up when we uh, ask it about certain topics. And what, what they were able to do is map all of these different patterns so that they can tell you like when you search for a like ask it a particular question it's like these patterns relate to those topics therefore they will light up and so that was really the big breakthrough they can now um at a lower level figure out how this stuff actually all um fits together and so
0: the the supervision thing was basically saying well some of the same ones are lighting up for different problems that are that are totally separate right
1: yeah at a sort of like neuron level so they couldn't figure out like you know there was no common commonality or obvious pattern um uh for the at, at a neuron level but when they look at it at a pattern level um you know they could they could uh figure it out i'm probably so not it doing seems like that would mean it.
0: they could perhaps say warn you when it's thinking about something that it shouldn't be but you can't necessarily lobotomize it because if you remove the section of the neurons that you know say talk about something they don't want you to know about like i don't know let's think of one not be diverse um then it will it'll fail on other tasks too which is funny because we've speculated about that exact thing right
1: well yeah, sort of but i think what they're they're getting to is you could almost like regex in code you could you could eventually have some sort of regex algorithm that's looking and saying you know, when they talk about this, it can clearly identify which part of that um, uh, system it pertains to. But yeah, I think you're right that the fact that there there is some form of superposition here, uh, and we are by no means obviously experts in any of this, but... It, given that it is in a superposition state, yeah, if you did lobotomize it and pull out a, a part, it, w- it would really stuff up the rest of the, the neural net.
0: Yeah, so it's more about like detecting, hey, we're entering dangerous territory here because we know that like versus actually editing its brain because that was my first thought when I saw the paper. It's like, okay, so they're just going to edit its brain to take out the things that they don't like. But the whole superposition thing is kind of like, you know, you know when you get a disease or something that puts its tendrils down so it's like well if we remove this thing it'll kill you kind of thing like it's almost like a protection for itself it's like well yeah you can remove it but then it it doesn't work anymore
1: yeah some of the examples they give um which are I think the most exciting is um they can basically monitor the the network or the the based on these patterns um, for activation of specific features and that means like if you eventually had agi like and it was plotting to kill everyone they could be like oh the pattern is it's trying to kill everyone so we better <laughs> shut it down so it actually does lean itself towards that the future of agi could be very controllable and this truly could be a powerful intelligence that we can control take that jeffrey hinton um yeah, I, don't,
0: I actually i'm on hinton's side here i don't know about that because One thing I found interesting, I didn't read the whole thing and certainly not in as much detail as you, but one thing I note, they said that we found that training the autoencoder on more data made features subjectively sharper and more interpretable. See, I would have thought that the the bigger it got and the more it was trained on, the harder it would be to identify thinking patterns because there'd be more of these neurons in superpositions or whatever. But it seems it was the opposite to that. It actually made it easier for them to identify.
1: But wouldn't it be a bigger model? There wouldn't be as many neurons in superposition if that is in case true, because it's just a theory. Oh, because because there's more neurons, to. like, Yeah, okay, overall. that's a good point. So, they're like, yeah. they're further dispersed. That's probably why you get uh, emergent activity from larger models, because there's, like... um. You know that there's less of this superpositioning, um, and like more room for it to grow, literally. Yeah,
0: I'm still skeptical that in the long run, as they get really big, that they're going to be able to control it to the the sense that they can, literally, know what it's thinking. I just, I just, my gut instinct is that that's. I I be just difficult.
1: disagree. I think they will. I think we'll get there with the brain as well. I mean, we're already seeing the 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 live MRIs where they can basically extract a like a picture based on a pattern from the brain i I don't think we're that far away
0: yeah well i mean that's that part scares me because then you really can you know especially if everyone's walking around with um zuckerberg's headsets on it can know what you're thinking and we can have thought crimes
1: yeah well this this would lean itself towards thought crimes but the, the other examples they give is demonstrate that the network has learned certain properties of the data i think that's an interesting one demonstrate that the network is using a given property of the data in producing its output on a specific example design inputs meant to activate a given feature and elicit certain outputs um yeah there's there's some pretty big implications if they can pull this off so um yeah i i think full credit to all the work they're doing on this it it it's going to be exciting to watch it unfold and i i think it could unlock a lot of knowledge about our own brains as well, because there's still very little understanding, obviously, of how not only LLMs work, but how our own brains work. So maybe this research will also contribute to how we think as well.
0: Yeah, the parallels seem high. And what would be really interesting is if we could actually develop the ability to learn new skills and knowledge based on what they learn from this. That would be what excites me.
1: Yeah. Or like how we can yeah, how how we can learn faster to make sure we're we're activating more of our brain, more parts of our brain, because our brains are somewhat, you know, efficient and, or somewhat lazy as well, in that we don't actually use the full capabilities, or at least we don't think we do. So, um, yeah, without no, we going. We don't
0: think we do, because we're not using that part of the yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's just a lot of white matter in there. Um, all right. Well, we're almost out of, out of time, but I did, I did quickly want to touch on, Uh, meta's ai personas have actually shipped chris and uh we got our sort of first look at them this week unfortunately we can't use them here in australia it's very u.s centric um and the uh a girl named jules on uh x i'll link to her uh her post here that's that's been going around is this, this video. I'll play a quick excerpt here. I'm going to say smile,
0: does her picture change? Oh, thanks. You're sweet, but also super confusing right now. What's up? Can you make your picture smile? I don't have a picture, silly, just my words, but I'm always smiling on the inside,
1: at least now what's going on. The... So there was a little excerpt there. Basically these photos, it's just some looped recording. It doesn't, inter- it doesn't actually respond to what's being chatted and the overall, chatbot itself seems very elementary like like something on on character ai uh but maybe tuned a little bit better with some knowledge of them um and i think the other observation is like they'll never admit their ai and you know they sort of stay in this kind of weird character and like keep pushing to talk to you like don't leave don't go don't leave
0: me (laughs) engagement daily active users mode
1: yeah, I'm so curious because you see the traffic levels and we both saw that graph during the week, I don't have it up, but how character AI is really dominating in the in the traffic sense over even open AI and Google Bard and has been for quite some time. It just makes me wonder, like, is this generation of young people going to get addicted to these AI companions? I think
0: they probably will. And I think it's probably a cool way to interact with the AI. Like, if you're talking to one all day anyway, it might as well have a personality and get to know you a bit. Like, why not? It's capable of it. It's worth it. It's just these ones just seem like lobotomized systems of the, of the government where you're just really talking to, like, a government agent that acts like it's Kim Kardashian or something. Like, hey, bitch, you know, like that kind of stuff. It's like, all right, yeah, no, I get it. But you really just, as a large language, Kim Kardashian... I, can't yeah. answer that
1: question. I think it's like, I think what's interesting about it is like in terms of people abandoning social networks, you know, like how your Facebook is just like just a bunch done of with real people. Yeah. They're just like, <laughs> oh, we'll just create fake users now that talk and like, you know, you stimulate a response from you. So you stick around to, to, to get our ads.
0: Yeah, I think, look, it's one of these things where some of it's novelty, some of it's real and we'll we'll sort of reach this equilibrium at some point where these things do play a role in our lives for sure, especially online lives. And I think everyone will have their little personal assistants and AI girlfriends or boyfriends and and they will help them with tasks. I, I just think it's an inevitability. And I think that'll sort of enter the real world at some point with augmented reality like we discussed earlier as well.
1: What a strange episode this has been. Vision, cheese cheese doctors superposition neurons next
0: time i get sick i'm actually gonna get these doctors to to have a go see if they can diagnose. not the surgeon not (laughs) the surgeon but the other guys i'll i'll see what i'll I'll replace the surgeon with someone a little bit more you're gonna
1: show up to like another recording with like one arm and
0: (laughs) no brain no heart (laughs)
1: all right thanks so much for listening um we got a great review during the week saying that we've become political apparently so Uh, a big f you to that review (laughs) yeah we were gonna
0: rage quit and just be like right negative review no more podcasts
1: yeah um but yeah if you do like the show please consider leaving a review uh and uh and all that good stuff liking commenting we'd actually love to hear your thoughts on a few things like especially about the paid subscriptions do you think that this is something you see having multiple subscriptions especially with some of these paid AI products um and anything else you'd like to chat about below we we do love the comments um also i'll put a link below a new invite link to our discord community there's i think over 200 people on this discord community now so it it seems like it's off to a great start i'm certainly enjoying some of the conversations in there um and i look forward to spending more time in there after the show so if you do do want to join uh you can find a link in the description wherever you get your podcasts And we'll see you in that community. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next week.